All right, this morning is February 17th. The year is 2008, it's Sunday morning, and our message this morning is called Noble Soil. Noble Soil. So I asked you before we started to turn to Genesis 2, and we will be in the 15th verse. Is everybody there? Now y'all don't get your feelings hurt if I talk to you. We are a community of believers. And if you don't respond to me when I speak, I'll get discouraged. Run out of the room and cry. And how embarrassing will that be for you? In the 15th verse of the second chapter of Genesis, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it. He put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. The purpose for the man was that he would work the soil, that he would tend to a garden, that he would take care of a garden. And the Lord God commanded the man. When you hear the word commanded, we usually think of things we should not do. You shall not lie. You shall not steal. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not. The first command ever given in the Bible is not a you shall not. The first command given in the Bible is found right here. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. God started with mankind in a position of freedom. Freedom to choose Him. Freedom to reject Him. Freedom to love Him and worship Him. Or freedom to spurn Him and reject Him. You are free. But you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. God did not promise to kill a man when He did something God said not to do. Instead, God said, you're free to do anything you want to do, but don't eat from that tree because the result of eating from that tree will be death for you. God starts with His people with freedom. Our country began in freedom in a way that the world had never known it. Freedom is not the issue. The issue is what do we do with our freedom? You can learn a lot by a man, about a man, from what he does with his free time. One of the things that they teach you in sales when you're making small talk that is not really so small is to ask open-ended questions to get people to begin to talk about their lives. Because if you listen closely, people will tell you what is important with them. Out of the abundance of a man's heart does his mouth speak. So you can talk about his NASCAR and deer hunting. That shows what is closest to your heart. There's nothing wrong with NASCAR. And if you hunt deer, bring all the venison here and that's fine with me. I don't shoot Bambi, but I will eat Bambi. Sorry, Elizabeth. My sister's trying to reform me. She's a vegetarian. And uh, I'm not quite yet converted. You are free. Man's very first occupation in all of the Bible is somebody who tends soil. Keep your finger there in Genesis and turn with me to Galatians. You will be in Galatians, the fifth chapter. Galatians is in the New Testament. It's in the Pauline epistles. Mandy is there. We're waiting on the rest of you. Ashley's there. Galatians, the fifth chapter.
If you listen to our political commentators, we're in the age of tribal warfare in the United States. Republicans versus Democrats. We'll have debates and decide who won. Pundits will talk for hours afterwards to say he said this, but he meant this. Two themes will come up continuously. We need more education and we need more freedom. Over and over and over. Freedom is not the issue. It's what we do with our freedom. Read with me Galatians 5, the 13th verse. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The same choice that was before Adam and Eve in the garden to choose in their freedom to be obedient to God or choose in their freedom to be disobedient to God is still before us. It's just that it is not as simplistic as a tree. Now we choose to be a slave to our sinful nature or we choose to be a slave to righteousness. The same choice is still before us. In Genesis 6, you don't have to turn there, but in Genesis 6, the fifth verse, I want to read you something that I've always found profound. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all of the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. That's quite a statement to say that the almighty omnipotent God was filled in his very core with pain when he saw the way in which man's heart leans. There is a fulcrum in your heart with a scale on top of it. The fulcrum in your heart is the Word of God. And the way in which your heart inclines is either towards God or away from God based on your reaction to His Word. Whether you weight your sinful nature more heavily than you weight God's righteous requirements. And when God observed His creation and He looked out, He said, when I look at the balance of their heart, when I look which way they are inclined to lean, it breaks my heart because I've given them freedom to choose and they do not choose me. Has anybody ever made an overture to someone of the opposite sex? Today, would you like to be my valentine? And they laughed. That heartbreak is God's when He looks upon a creation that does not choose Him. In fact, the Bible paints a picture of all the heavenly creatures with eyes all over them. And we go, ooh, that's weird. Some people have even gone, oh, look, Ezekiel must have saw alien spaceships because they were so strange to them. And yet to a Hebrew who paints vivid pictures when they write and describe things to make an impact on all of your senses, it paints one message. The God of the universe is examining His creation. More specifically, He's examining you. His eyes range throughout the earth looking for a heart that is fully committed to Him that He might strengthen them. God has not invested in your failure. He's invested in your success. He wants you to love Him. He wants you to find an abundant life. In fact, this world is in such bad shape that in the time of Noah, there were only eight people whose hearts were inclined towards Him so that they were credited with righteousness. In 120 years of building something meant to save the world, 
only proved to condemn them because they refused to be saved. Last week we covered a message called Skin for Skin. How could God let this happen? And I taught you last week that the state of the world as we know it is one that is already condemned, one that is already diseased, one that is already putrid in almost every way, and God loved it enough to interject His Word in the flesh to it so that He might save it. How we respond to God's overture of love to us says a lot about what our heart is. God's heart was filled with pain when He saw ungodliness. We need to examine what our hearts are filled with today. Turn with me to Matthew. You will be happy to know we will spend most of our time here on out in the New Testament. That's like icing on the cake because y'all already have this whole section memorized, right? Tell me when you're in Matthew 13. And if you don't go there, be prepared for me to call on you to read. <laughs> I realize the way to build a big church is to provide gymnasiums and donuts and gift certificates. A gymnasium for your kids to play in. Donuts as a reward for you showing up. And gift certificates to show everyone our certificates of achievement what all you have achieved. In our church, you will find none of those things. Because we believe that a man is rewarded, that his food, his substance for life, is finding the will of the Father and walking in it and completing it. And I will not trade a donut for that feeling that I get when I know that I'm in God's will. Our new building will have no stained glass and it's not because I don't like stained glass. It's because the very idea of it was to try to give people a heavenly appearance as light came through the different colors of the glass. And I believe it was a substitute in the very beginning for the anointing of God. I want you to consider Jesus for a moment as we begin this parable I'm going to read to you. Isn't it strange when you look at why Jesus was not accepted in mass and run to as a king, as the Savior of the world, the reason that he was not immediately enthroned in Israel is when people looked at him, he looked like you. Did you hear me say? I said when people looked at Jesus, he looked just like you. He wore a title that was Son of Man. He seemed ordinary in every way. You do not see people that are viewing him as deity readily. What you see is people that are confused. Isn't he from Galilee? Little town, don't we know his mama? I think we know his brothers. I went to school with one of his sisters. We see people embracing him as an ordinary human being and having trouble with that idea. The saints, saints the church suffers from exactly the opposite problem today. After 2,000 years of history, where we have been taught he is deity, and rightfully so, he is, we have trouble seeing Him as a regular human being. We have a problem embracing Jesus as one of us, a brother, someone who shared in humanity so that He is sympathetic in every way with our weaknesses. We see Him only at a distance, at a place that is unapproachable, and this is the exact opposite reason that God injected Himself into the world. 
He wanted to be approachable. In fact, Jesus is going to speak to the people in the most common way possible for him. Israel was an agricultural society. And every little boy in Israel and every little girl in Israel grew up seeing farmers go out to sow their seed. They were very familiar with what it meant to receive a life-sustaining crop. Did you hear me? No McDonald's. No Randall's. A life-sustaining crop. To put your seed in the dirt and trust that God was going to bring something out of it that would sustain your family's life was a normal part of this society. And Jesus chose this to describe the whole planet. We've wrongly titled it. In Matthew 13, most of you in your English Bibles have a title above it that says, The Parable of the Sower. It appears that way in all three synoptic Gospels. How interesting that we focus on the sower. If you plant the right kind of seed, you should get the right kind of crop, right? That ignores the soil, doesn't it? In these parables, the sower is the same always. The seed is the same always. But what is different is the ground that it lands on. I spoke with a man last night that told me he was a seeker of truth. That is fantastic. What do you use as your measure of what truth is? Well, I use various alternative sources. Well, doesn't that kind of make you like God? Deciding what is and is not truth in any source that you find? I find that the Word of God is our source for truth. I don't just believe that because a theologian told me. I believe it because I've personally experienced it. And had I not personally experienced it, even an objective man looking at the creation could see men and women's lives, like Nick Slaughter and Lindy Slaughter, that have been so thoroughly changed by it, only somebody with a vested interest in its failure could deny that. Pick up with me in Matthew 13. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by a lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it. You thought our church was rough. While all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell among the path. And the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no roots. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, when I was first a student of the words, Having grown up in church most of my life, not all of it, certainly not all of it, but most of it, I was vaguely familiar with what my brother Steve calls tribal Christian knowledge, what you hear everyone say about the Word. But I had never gone to the source book in a serious way to find out what is actually true about the Word. Have you ever heard a description of a co-worker, someone you never met in another office building, that 
Everybody describes them a certain way, and you're surprised when you meet them. The image doesn't match the way you had envisioned them. This is how the church world knows Jesus the Christ. They know what everyone has told them about him. The gospel did not intend for this to be so. The gospel writer said, we are writing to you that you might know he's the son of God and find life in his name. We're not writing what we heard someone say. We're writing what we personally witnessed. When we don't read it, when we don't take the time to get an accurate understanding of Jesus. It's a whole lot like saying, God, you're just not that interesting to me. I would rather watch CNN. I would rather go hunt or fish. But when you take the time to delve into the depths of the Word, it will so thoroughly change your character. It will so enthrall you with the person of the man Jesus and what he accomplished that your life will never again be the same. Jesus chose this parable because it was going on all around him. As Matthew studied this setting, Matthew Pirro, one of the pastors in this church, he told me that in Palestine, an average return was that you put a seed in the ground and you got ten seeds from that plant. But in special areas of unique fertility, crops, of 30 times what was planted, 60 times what was planted, or a hundredfold, were all possible. I want you to understand that God's view for your life is something that is obtainable. With God's help, with His blessing, it is obtainable, and it is all good. There's not a human being that He plans to fail. There's not a single person that He gave freedom in the hopes that they would crash. He plans for you to succeed. He plans for good things for you. Now, I love this because when I became a student of the Word and I read it the first time, I sat down and went, what could He possibly have meant? And I came up with various theories. I came up with what I thought the rocks were, what I thought the hard path was. On one occasion, I even began to share that with another person who said, Brother, he says, in the next paragraph, if you'll just keep reading what each of those things are. How embarrassing. Sometimes the words that we speak out of our mouth, what we think about God. Well, my God is a God of love, we like to say. Reveal that we have not read the next paragraph. Saints, I'm looking for a church that will embrace the fullness of God. Come right into the light, weaknesses and all. Be laid bare before all humanity without pride and say, here I am, Lord, change me. Because I know in every generation, when men and women do this, it changes the face of the world. Twelve Galilean Jews changed the face of the planet as we know it because they were willing to be inspected and judged by the Word and change their lives based on it. Pick up with me in Matthew 13, the 18th verse. This is Jesus' explanation of this parable. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away. Sounds like rapture language, doesn't it? We'll leave that alone for now. The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This seed 
it's, this is the seed sown along the path. And one of the benefits that I have as a pastor is right now, I only have to work in a secular occupation so many days a week. This leaves me freedom to meet with you, freedom to talk with you about your lives, and most of all, thank God, freedom to study His Word. This same story is told in two other places in the Bible. And if you take the opportunity to look at all three places and combine their accounts, you find some very interesting things. To start with, Matthew and Mark have Jesus in a boat surrounded by an almost anonymous crowd of people. While Luke places him in a crowd where he names people, famous people, like Mary of Migdal. You know what she's famous for? Seven demons were cast out of her. Joanna, wife of Cusa, a famous public official, names them. I've often heard people say things, and by the way, many of you are going to think I'm speaking about you. That's good. I've often heard people say things like, I don't want everybody to know that. And granted, there's wisdom in that sometimes. I was in the church one time where a young lady stood up and confessed sexual sin. Everybody bowed and prayed except the young men who suddenly were interested in what was going on. There are some things that are not wise to bring out before everyone. It causes other people to sin. But if we spend our life protecting our lives, hiding in the shadows, how on, else, how on earth can we receive help? When Luke wrote this account, he named the people that were there and the sin they had been delivered from. How comfortable would you be with that? How comfortable would you be with the banner over your head that said the sin that you had been delivered of? Humility is the key to power in the kingdom, period. If you think that I'm speaking about you, good. All of us need to learn to humble ourselves that the power of God might flow through us. Wednesday night was a difficult thing for me to share our personal finances with a whole body of people, some of whom $100 is all the money in the world and some of whom $100 is not a drop in the bucket. It is difficult to open up and do that. But if you want God to move in your midst, you have to become less that He might become more. You have to cut the flesh away from your heart that the Word might penetrate it. In the 18th verse, he says, Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears this message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. When you look at this path in the other Gospels, Matthew says they don't understand and the evil one snatches away. Mark says they don't understand and Satan takes it away. At least we, when we read Mark, we find out who the evil one is, right? When we read Luke, he says it in a beautiful way. He says that the Word was trampled on, trampled on, that they may not believe and be saved. As I began to dwell on the words trampled on, and I got the fuller picture, it's not just that they didn't understand or accept it. They trampled on it and were unable to believe it and be saved trampled on I wondered where I had heard that before and so I turned to Matthew 7 which you should do now keeping your finger in Matthew 13 and I found this verse 
the sixth verse in Matthew 7. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. In Matthew 7, verse 6, what we find out is that a pearl is not precious to a pig. Saints, God Himself took of His own character and filled the human being to bring us His Word. And to some people, it fell on a path that was so hard there was no way that it could penetrate it. They trampled upon it and treated it as if it were something not worthwhile. The same way a pig tramples on pearls. And as long as we're talking about they, I'm fine with that. It's when we have to put a name and a face on they. Then I began to dwell on how many times I knew that the word said a and said something like, but first, Lord, let me do B. And I realized that there was more pig in Eric than I wanted there to be. The Word will judge the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. Anytime we look at the Word of God, acknowledging what it says, but do not treat it as precious and life-sustaining. The Bible says we didn't understand it. That is a very Hebrew concept says that they didn't understand it. Does this mean that they were stupid? That they were just ignorant? No. The Bible's definition of understand is much different than our definition of understand. We look at the sum total of the words and come up with an equation in our mind. These words mean this. The Bible does not call that understanding. To a Hebrew, when you understand, it's not when you intellectually grasp it. It's when your action begins to show that you understand it. These people heard the Word of God. It was not that they were not smart enough to grasp it. It's that they didn't value it enough to change. Hebrews speaks of people who trampled the Son of God underfoot as well. It says there is no sacrifice that remains for that sin. I want you to understand, when we're talking about God interjecting a life-saving Word into the planet. It becomes precious to us. This soil was man's first occupation. And if you find your heart hard towards God in some areas, I tell you one I hear a lot. I speak very, very little about money. The last two services I've talked more about money than in the last eight years. Money's never been a problem for me unless there was not enough of it. <laughs> never something I particularly desired unless I didn't have enough to buy what we needed one that I hear people hard about is all churches want from you is your money irrespective of what God's word says irrespective of how they should relate to that word the pathway of their heart has become hard I want to tell you something I am not a prosperity preacher, but it robs people of a blessing. When we are <laughs> numb to what the Word says, we are robbing ourselves of a blessing. And it provides the opportunity for the devil to steal from us. Pigs. Let's read the next one in Matthew. Stay in Matthew 13. 
Can you say with me this morning, church, that you don't want to be a pig? Yeah, I don't want to be a pig. You know, a pig was just about the most vile animal that you could think of. How odd that when they do things like ballistic tests, it's a pig's flesh they use to simulate man's. The thing that was so disgusting about pigs is it's almost as if God in His genius found the most efficient way to package protein, completely devoid of unnecessary things like thought. A pig will stand in its own droppings and eat its food without thought. There is zero ability in a pig to deny itself gratification of any kind. Food's there, pig's got to eat. Females there, pig's got to mate. Gates open, pig's got to run. How often have we been piggish? The thing that makes us more like God, the thing that shows that we have the Spirit of God working in us is when His strength overcomes a pig-like nature and we can delay our gratification to do what God requires of us. Are you back in Matthew 13? Do you still like me at all? My man Cody does, but I feed him, so that doesn't count. Not anymore. He feeds himself. Brother's on his own budget. Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. The path is your heart. This seed was sown along the path. Verse 20. The one who received the seed that fell on the rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with Joy. Saints, joy is the mark of a Christian. But since he has no roots, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the Word, he quickly falls away. When you examine this in the Synoptic Gospels, when you look at Matthew and Mark, they both contain the words that at once he received it with joy. Then they relate, but trouble and persecution caused him to quickly fall away. One gets the idea of easy in and easy out. But God blessed the doctor, Luke, because Luke was a detailed human being and he wanted to make sure that nobody misunderstood. So Luke records the words for us, not only no root, but there was no moisture. So they believed for a while, he says, but in the time of testing, they fall away. No moisture. You know, pride and fear are a powerful combination. When we are scared of anything, but particularly how others perceive us, and then we are too prideful to allow anyone to help us change, it is like denying a plant moisture. In fact, as I began to think about moisture, this song came to mind. And I'm unable to sing in the right key, octave, pitch, whatever those things are, I don't even know. I'm still watching American Idol and Randy and Paula have been unable to explain it to me. I know what it is to be in a dog pound. I know what it is, as Simon says, to be cabaret, but I still don't know how to sing a melody. 
I began to think about the dew of heaven. Moisture. The dew of heaven. Turn back with me to Genesis 27. Let's look at the first time the word dew appears in the Bible. Not mountain dew, saints, but the dew of heaven. Although you may rethink the phrase do the do. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, you're probably blessed. That's okay. In Genesis 27, that air conditioner is turning my pages. Okay, in Genesis 27, starting in verse 27, a blessing is given to someone. Ignore the fact that the blessing was obtained by tricking a father. What you should focus on this morning is that the blessing was obtained by putting on the skin of your brother. Jesus, your brother. He's the one that finds favor with God. And in verse 27 of chapter 27, So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, This is Jacob pretending to be Esau. Ah, the smell of my son. Now, I love my daddy. He never said anything like that to me. When I was about 11, he said, Son, you're old enough. Go wear deodorant. Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. The smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. That's not a particularly nice compliment today, is it? Ah, CJ! You smell like a field plowed on a summer day. That's not very nice, is it? If your life depended upon what came out of that field, and if good soil had a certain smell to you, can I tell you, it might change your perspective. I heard of a man. This is not a preacher's story. I was in the car business. Who was riding with a salesman, and the salesman apologized. He said, I'm sorry, sir, for that foul stench. There's a paper mill in the area. The old man looked at him and smiled and said, Smells like money to me, boy. I own the paper mill. <laughs> Your perspective changes based on how you view something. To Isaac, a blessing was that soil smelled like it was fruitful because soils where your life sustaining fruit came from. Ah, oh, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of heaven's dew and of earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. A blessing in biblical days, a blessing to Rabbi Yeshua would have been to say someone had a fruitful soil, that it was receiving dew from heaven, a blessing from God. Saints, to intellectually ascend to what the gospel is. To even receive it in a pure manner and say, I love the Lord. Lord Jesus saved me and He saves you. But then, hem yourself in with the rocks of pride and fear. Not allow others to see your roots, to help you prune your branches. Not to allow others to spur you on. Because pride is something you don't want them to see in you. And fear says, if they know me, they won't like me. The devil tells us all the same thing, saints. What we do is cut ourselves off from the dew of heaven. 
We deny ourselves the moisture that comes by God's Word. Would you like to know where the second place do appears in the Bible? God made it simple for ignorant preachers like Eric. In Exodus, the 16th verse. Exodus, the 16th verse. Oh, 16th chapter. Sorry. Thank you, Adam. We have a rather unique situation in the desert. Desert is a arid place. Did the people know the Lord God in the desert? Did Israel know Him? Yes. Did Israel profess obedience to His words? Were they obedient sometimes? Sometimes, yes. But in the desert, what do you lack? Water and food. 16th chapter, 11th verse. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning there was a layer of moisture from heaven around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes of frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know. We now know, saints, that this was manna. One of the ways that God feeds His people is in the soil of our hearts, if we are open, if we will work the soil of our hearts to remove those difficult places, the things you don't want other people to know or see, the things that are between you and God, then God has a way to moisturize our soil. Our roots have room to grow. How many of you know that the more you know about a person, the more attached to them you feel? Why, when they do Save the Children commercials, do they pick a specific child and tell you about that child? Because you begin to feel bonded with that person and you start to care what happens to them. Saints, if we grow as a fellowship, if we become a crop that God can bless, the way that He does it is by removing the barriers so that we can grow together, learn to receive moisture from heaven. If it's raining on Chandler's fields and Chandler and I are close friends, the rain might just drip off of his branches and fall on my soil. This is how we rejoice with brothers when they get revelation. This is how we can even look upon correction as a good thing. Have to remove the rock from the soil. Ultimately, Deuteronomy teaches us what the dew of the heavens are and what we were lacking. Deuteronomy 32. What we are lacking if we are like the rocky soil. Deuteronomy 32. Listen, O heavens, and I will speak. Hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain, and my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. The words of Moses to his people were like dew falling upon vegetation that was life-sustaining. 
Luke let us know that it was not just the rocky soil that was a problem for this plant. It was that there was no moisture. The rocks prevented the roots from stretching out as far as they needed. And retaining moisture that is teaching, that is the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 teaches us that the Word of God will separate even your joints from marrow, your soul from your spirit, that it will judge the attitude and the thoughts of your heart, that it's useful for teaching and correcting and rebuking and training in righteousness, Paul said to Timothy. The idea is that if we want to be soil that God can use and not a hard path trodden on by pigs, by the carnal nature that is a pig, what we need to do is be open towards exposing the rocks that are blocking the blessings of God, allowing the Word of God to separate them from us so that we can be rained on by the teaching of the Word of God that we might be fed like the people in the desert, that it would become for us like food. Did Jesus not say, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If the little plant is going to be nourished, it has to receive rain. If it's going to receive rain, it has to have room to get rooted in fellowship. Saints, isolation. Isolation is the devil's tool. Every demoniac in the Bible, every demoniac in the Bible shows signs of being isolated. One hung out in the tombs. Why would the devil do that? The same reason if we were going to interrogate a foreign army, we would put them in separate rooms. When you don't know what is being said to everybody, you're free to tell them whatever you want. A powerful thing happens. When Matthew comes to me and said, Brother, I'm struggling in this area. The devil keeps telling me this. At least I think it's the devil. I don't know. And I said, you know, I heard the same lie. And Matt says, doesn't the Word say something about this? I said, you know, I don't know. Let's pray. And Darren walks in and says, I feel condemned about this and I don't know why. All of the sudden, something starts to happen, saints. It's the sound of liberation. As we start to recognize the same lies being told in different ways. When you find out you are not alone, when you learn to be fed by the dew of heaven, you can pull the rocks out of your soil and spread out and look around and realize, Fred, Steve, Bob, they all got the same issues. Just like me. Just like Jesus. Because we're all made of the same stuff. The reason the devil wants to keep you isolated is because where there is secrecy, he has power. Do you hear me? Where there is secrecy, He has power because you will guard your secret. You want to make sure that nobody knows. All the while thinking it's what protects you and it is damning you. How many men of God could have avoided tragic national falls if they had just been open about what was happening in their lives? But they couldn't because the lie came in that said if they know what you struggle with. They will condemn you. How many of you have heard somebody pick on a national preacher for a problem that you know good and well that person has in their life? We need to remove the rocks from our soil that we can all receive the same moisture. This is fellowship. It's what it is. In a huddle, you ought to be able to tell members on your own team, I am having trouble blocking this guy. 
Could I get a little help? Matthew and I played football together for many years, and he heard that more than once. I was really happy sometimes when a substitution came. We had the only 150-pound left tackle in the history of the game. Every once in a while, he'd get tired, and they'd put a big heavy in there. I had to run off tackle. I was very happy when that happened. This church is like a huddle. We have got to be able to talk with each other. We have got to be able to say, this is eating my lunch. Would you all pray for me? Would you help me? And it not be a pity party or a gossip session. It'd be a way we can say, let's get the do of heaven because God's teaching will show us how to handle this. Easy in, easy out. No real commitment, no real roots. Float right in, float right out. That about sums up the American church, friends. Float right in, float right out. I want you to know the kiss of death in our church. In fact, let me warn you now, don't tell me. Do not say this to me. I don't believe it anymore. People come up and say, Eric, I am with you. The only thing worse is the day after we baptize them and they're gone. It's like we did just enough to appease their conscience. And now they're gone. That's not Christianity. That's rocky soil. If we recognize pig in us on the path, we cut it out. If we recognize rocks in us in the rocky soil, we till them up because man's first job was to work the soil. And if we took care of the soil, it would take care of us. Hmm. Pride and fear prevent people from asking for help. The Word of God, though, will judge the attitude and thoughts of our heart. Let's read more in Matthew. Matthew 13. We're going to be there all day, or at least as long as you let me preach. Verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone, anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on the rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. Easy in. But since he has no root, or Luke says moisture, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. We could just raise up a doctrine that says that can't happen. That'll protect everybody, right? Until the doctrine like a building falls on their head. Verse 22. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one... Ah, let's stay there for a minute. Matthew says the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth are what choke it. Worries of this life. What could that be? Electric bill, water bill? Why are your kids to be educated? What you eat, what you wear. Any worry of this life. One of the ones that intrigues me, though, is the deceitfulness of wealth. If you're deceived, raise your hand. No hands go up. Why is that? Because when you're deceived, you don't know it. That's why it's called deceived. Deceitfulness of wealth. What could that be? 
How about any time you put personal ambition or personal gain above the kingdom in your life? But if you knew you were doing it, you wouldn't do it, right? Hopefully not. The deceitfulness of wealth, the worries of this life choked it out, Matthew said. Hmm. Well, maybe we can't apply that to us. Maybe there's just no personal application there. Mark put it a different way. He said the desire for other things. He said the desire for other things choked it out. Maybe it's not wealth that's deceived you. How about anything other than God's perfect will for your life? You know, I never have to say God's perfect will. But you know why I have to say God's perfect will? Because the church world will accept something less than God's will and just say, well, it may not have been His perfect will, but I'm still in His will. What a load of stuff that comes out of donkeys. <laughs> Fertilizer, right? This agricultural class. God has assigned to us tasks. Those tasks are for a purpose that He wants out of our lives. Ephesians 2.8 said He prepared good works in advance for us to do. And yet over and over and over, Jesus encounters people and they say things like, first let me go and bury Dad. First let me go. James said, don't say you're going to go to such and such place at such and such time and start a business and make a certain amount of money. Instead say, if it's God's will, I will. The church world has a bad habit of deciding what they want to do and then calling it God. This chokes our trust in God. Why does it choke our trust in God? It does because whether it succeeds or fails, it's not good for us. What is good for us, the only thing that is good for us, is to hear from God His Word for us and then take our stand. Take your stand on it. And why is it good? Because what He does with it is He encourages you when you do. No matter how small the step, He encourages you when you do, and then you're able to take a bigger step, and then a bigger, and this leads to the abundant life that God had planned for us. I tried to figure out what a right way to say somebody was deceived by wealth was. It's a little bit like a mirage. You see it in the distance and you just know it's going to give you what you need. Life-sustaining water. Palm trees that are shaded. And then you get there and you find out it is dry and arid. But you were deceived. The Word of God is here to correct our thoughts. It's here to judge the attitudes of our hearts. To lay it bare. To prune our branches and pull up weeds in our soil so that it can weed our soil and feed our soil and produce a crop. You know, weeds don't kill a plant immediately. They just make it unproductive. They just make it unproductive. If the devil can't get you completely out of the kingdom, he just nullify you by making you busy with things that are not really the kingdom. I have a lot to say on that subject, but I'm running out of time. That same Numbers 11 passage says that rabble in Israel began to crave other food. What is craving other food? Well, if the food was manna and that was the Word of God and they were craving other food, 
what they were craving was some way other than God's Word. You ever met somebody that asked your advice and you gave them what you're certain was God's advice and they ran to ten other people? Three other people? Four other people? Five? Why do people do that? Let's be honest. Why do you do it? Why do I do it? If I ask Darren what he thinks and I get an answer that we're pretty sure was God, and then I ask Nick and I get the same answer, and then I ask Fred and I get the same answer, why would I go ask Bob? I don't like the answer. I'm going to shop until I will find somebody who will validate the other food I crave. Leviticus 10 calls this unauthorized fire. God wants to light the fire in your heart with His Word. It literally came from heaven and lit an altar ablaze. But the first two priests who were sent to minister over that altar lit their own fires. And it so upset God that He struck them dead and told their daddy, don't shed a tear over it. Well, what is unauthorized fire and other food to us? It's having your passions ignited, your goals, your visions driven by something other than what God wants for you. Oh, well, that could never happen. Open your eyes, saints. It's happened everywhere. How many men of God were called to lead worship and their passion for music was ignited on a different altar in some other place? some of the finest recording artists that have ever been in the world's eyes were meant to carry God's fire in the churches. And they walked out or were thrown out, one or the other, because the Word of God was not being dealt with right on somebody's part. And so today, they're ignited with a passion, all right, but it's unauthorized fire. You go read the testimony of little Richard, he will tell you that's what happened. Go read the testimony of Jerry Lee Lewis. His own words condemn him. I don't know what it is that lights your fire, so to speak, but it better have come from God's will or it will choke your trust in Him even if all around you are signs of success. I knew a man that had a pear tree, apple tree, and he had all kind of graft ends and we were all impressed. Oh, look at all the grass stands. What a biblical example. What a beautiful tree. We praised him for his tree over and over and over. Then one day somebody walked up and leaned on the tree and it fell over. <laughs> yeah, that was almost prophetic. It can look like a success, saints, if what's producing fruit in your life is not the passion and fire of God's Word, it's garbage. It's garbage. The second commandment. Dude, what is the second commandment? See, this is how I get my kids to pay attention in church. No idols. That's right. Actually, you shall have no gods before me is the first one, and then the second one is that you will not make any images. Right? I want you to think for a second. Some of you in here are in love. Y'all are sitting next to your lifelong love. How cool is that? Ladies, how do you feel when you open your boyfriend, husband's wallet and there are pictures of high school sweethearts in there? How does that make you feel? God is not unlike us. He said, first of all, I want to be the only love in your life. Second of all, 
Throw out all the pictures of your previous lovers. Period. God's a jealous God. He will not allow you to be passionate for anything but Him. But when you're passionate for Him, He will give you passion for the right things. You'll find yourself falling in love with certain things, but it's born of Him and not born of selfish ambition. Psalm 86, 11, David cried out and said, Give me an undivided heart, Lord. How honest. How many of you would stand up in church and say, I need an undivided heart. Why would that be hard to do? Acknowledging that your heart's divided and you know it's not supposed to be. Man's first job is to work the soil, saints. You weren't given perfect soil. In fact, when you were born, it was some soil cut out of some bad soil. No matter how noble your family line is. But if we will work it, if we will tenderize it, instead of trampling on it with our carnal nature, if we will try to soften it so that it can receive God's Word, if we will remove rocks that are like obstacles so that we can fellowship with people and know, even as we're known, be seen and see other people, if we can eliminate idolatrous passions and desires for things that compete with godly interest in our lives, then perhaps we can become the good soil that God speaks of. By the way, the soil with weeds, ultimately, you know what Luke says about it? It failed to mature. It failed to mature. So if you look back on the last five years of your Christianity and you haven't grown much, we don't really need somebody to point to the fact there's weeds there. You know there are weeds there. How do you know it? Weeds are what keeps you from maturing. You need to identify them and kill them, period. Put them to death on God's altar and He will give you life. I promise that. Go back to Matthew 13. I do have something nice to say to you, I promise. The Word of God is like a mirror. We ought to see ourselves in it. And I see far too many rocks in the soil of Eric's heart. And i got the weed killer in one hand and the sword in the other going after everything that is not what God wants for me. Because I want to bear a good crop. It's what sustains life. Matthew 13, starting in verse 22. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the Word but the worries of this life and the mirage of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the Word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. How interesting. Matthew says that he understood it. He heard it and he understood it. Mark says he accepted it. You know what Luke says? They had a noble and good heart. To understand the Word, to accept it, to apply it, shows that you have worked the soil of your heart. And in God's eyes, it's noble and it's good. This is how God can look down on somebody like Noah and call him righteous, knowing good and well he's not righteous in his own regard. God will credit you with right standing with him if you will just work the soil of your heart. One of the mistakes that pastors have made, me included, is we have made this an event at an altar. 
He said, if you just come down here right now and surrender your life. Saints, I do wish it was that easy. That's like saying all you have to do in life is be born. That's it. It's a ridiculous, ridiculous concept. The only thing good about it is everybody has to start somewhere. And I many times see people start at an altar. What we have to commit to is a lifelong working of the soil of our hearts. Because all of these guys, except one, started to grow. But only one hit the mark. Could you name four people that you know? Maybe one visited church, heard the same word you did, and then ran off with no real compulsion about it. Maybe the second heard, received with joy, but during difficult times, faded out. Maybe a third lasted quite a while, but you could see there was always a divided heart in that one. And yet the fourth one received the same word everybody else did, but applied it in their heart differently, and has grown and grown and grown and seen fruit everywhere. I bet if you wrote them down, you could put names to those things. But I'm not interested in everybody else. I'm interested in you. I'm interested in me. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart. It's the wellspring of life. Psalm 51.10, you sing in church all of the time. Create in me a pure heart, God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. What you didn't know is that for God to create it, He injects His Word. From there, it's your job to apply it. Hmm. Matthew 5.8, Jesus gave us a beautiful promise. Blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. How do you get a pure heart? You apply the Word consistently. Ephesians 1.18 was Paul's prayer for the church. I'm going to read it to you, but it's my prayer for you and for me. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. Why do I want your eyes to be enlightened? You can't be a hard path, unable to receive God's Word once you understand what He has planned for you. You won't tolerate rocks in your soil that prevent you from growing once you understand what He has planned for you. Wealth, the worries of this life, and craving other things will hold no sway over you once you understand what He has planned for you. So our desire is that your eyes would be open, that you would begin to see what God sees in you, and then everything else becomes meaningless. It took a man in the Bible all of his lifetime to come to that understanding. And he wrote it for us in the book of Ecclesiastes. And it seems as if it's like playing a fiddle and nobody began to dance. Nobody understands it. Last scripture for you today is our prayer as we close. Hebrews 10:22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of trust, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. 
I did not try to hurt anybody's feelings today. I didn't try to bring you a hard word. My overwhelming sense is God is pleased with our church. What I did was put my spurs on and try to spur you on towards love and good deeds. Because the song says, though none go with me, I still will follow. But the truth is, it's easier in a godly crowd. And that's what we're trying to build. Stand up and we'll pray.